The night Jesus was born, an angel announced to the shepherds, but ultimately to the world, that the most significant birth in all of history had just occurred. And he clarified that it was news, baby announcement news, that was good news, ultimately, of great joy for all. Now, babies being born, in most instances, bring great joy uh, to us in many, many ways. But when Jesus was born, the start of joy, unlike anything before that that the world has known, began. Heaven's joy came to earth in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. As someone noted this week, this baby is much bigger than he looks. This announcement shows us several magnificent truths that make it good news of great joy. First, from the thought that unto you is born a Savior is the truth that this was a baby destined by God to be in particular, to have a particular role to save sinners from their sins. A one-of-a-kind Savior, unable in any way to ever be replicated. That's why when we heard tonight from Matthew's account of the story that where the, Joseph was told that the baby's name had to be Jesus, meaning that it was here to save, and even more specifically, to save us from our sins. Secondly, we can see in the announcement in the line, born this day in the city of David, that this Savior, Messiah, was born in ways that fulfilled prophecies and promises all the way back to David and even beyond. Third, from the statement that he is Christ the Lord, we see the truth that this baby was in a visible way, born into poverty-level peasantry, and yet at the same time was the very almighty Lord of the entire universe, fully God, fully man. And fourth, in the statement unto you is born for all peoples, this news is for all peoples, that this Savior was not just for a particular family, or a particular people, or a particular nation, but for any and every sinner ever born, this gift of Christ as Savior is often offered. So God has done many great and mighty things, but the act, his most incredulous miracle of all, was Christ the Lord given to mankind to be our Savior, fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament. And all of that is significant for this reason. Sin has been wrecking every human life since it entered the world at the fall in Genesis 3. We all, as a result, have a sin nature, the Bible tells us, meaning a propensity to sin, a desire for it, an inability to fully resist it. It holds us all in its grip, We're all captives to it. We're all broken by our own sin and by others' people's sins against us. 
And all sin, including our own, has many terrible consequences to it. Spiritual death, meaning there is not a spiritual life within us as a result. A relational separation from God, that relationship that was meant from creation, designed to be, has been broken and severed. And a horrific penalty and punishment is coming for sin that begins ultimately with our death, but ultimately ends in a very real and everlasting hell. All this news means had to have a savior. We had to have a savior. It had to be someone superior to sin, able to overcome it. And that's where Jesus and this birth and Christmas all come into play. Christmas celebrates the beginning of a beautiful provision by God for sinful man to be what the Bible calls saved. Saved from our very own sin and saved from the condemnation that comes with that. And that story, that gift begins with the birth of Jesus just as the Bible had predicted and then him living a life himself without sin, untainted by it, so that he could offer himself to God in our place on the cross at Calvary to pay that penalty for our sinning against God, his very own perfect blood being the payment. For without it, no sin, no sin can be forgiven by God. But because his sacrifice satisfied God, he was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and has promised to once again return. This is what the Bible calls the gospel, the very good news, or the way the angel put it that night, the good news of great, tremendous joy. Because God now promises to save any sinner who comes in faith, confessing, acknowledging his sin against God and it's wrong, asking by faith for the mercy that God offers through his son and the payment of his life, and turns in repentance from living for self and for continuing to live for sin in order to walk in obedience by faith with God. And by that grace, through that salvation, myriads of blessings come pouring into the lives, into the hearts and minds of those who believe in Christ. And the joy of heaven begins to become our eternal hope, peace, and joy. When Jesus was in his teaching ministry as an adult, he told a parable that particularly strikes on this note. It was a parable of a shepherd who would leave the flock in order to go look for one lost sheep, which is a depiction of our sin and our lostness and our separation from our shepherd. And the shepherd would go and he would look And when he found a lost sheep, he would carry it home 
And Jesus said, using the words rejoicing, that the lost sheep had been found. And that shepherd would then tell others so that they would rejoice as well. And then Jesus finished that parable with this startling revelation because we can't see it with our own eyes. But he tells us what occurs every time there is a salvation because of Jesus uh, redeeming the lost. He says there is great joy in heaven over every sinner who repents. Any overcoming of our sin brings joy to God, to heaven, and to the repentant heart. So Christmas helps us realize and treasure anew this incredible gift that God gave us in Christ in order to save us from our sin. And what's amazing is that 2,000 years later, sitting here tonight, it is possible for a sinner to be saved by this Savior who was born that night, interceding before God even now on his behalf. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ for your sin? Are you experiencing the joy that comes with that? I just want to invite you, even appeal to you, that even this night, the very night that we remember when the Savior was first born, that you would believe and repent and begin to experience this incredible joy. Genuinely experiencing the joy of Jesus in salvation will blow you away. And heaven, heaven will rejoice. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ and begun to experience this joy, let's think for a few moments about the great joy of this news for our own lives, the exceeding joy of God as the Psalms describes it, the joy of Emmanuel, God with us, the joy of our Savior in saving. So what is joy? Two words that we also use that flow out of this, enjoy and rejoice. Both carry the idea of joy. It is delight, it is thrill, it is ecstasy, it is elation, it is pleasure, it is satisfaction that is provided by God. We humans created in God's image long for this joy. We're seeking it in everything that we're doing. We're seeking it often in all the wrong places because we ultimately won't find that lasting deep joy here. Even our gift giving at this time of year is our attempt to both give joy to others and receive joy. When Jesus came into this world, he brought something from beyond this world, joy. Emmanuel launched joy in a new way into the world because Psalm 1611 tells us in God's presence there is fullness of joy.
Joy is never lacking in God. It's always there, full-blown. He is a God of joy, and it's a Jesus of joy. And when Jesus came, he came, even in his birth, full of joy because he is joy. And even though Isaiah 53.3 tells us he was a man of sorrows, Hebrews 12.3 also tells us that he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him as part of his mission for what he was doing. Joy was at the center of everything that Christ Jesus did. Tony Reinke says, joy in God is at the center of the Christian experience now and it will be for all of eternity. Joy in God is at the heart of the gospel. The Christian life from start to finish centers on joy in God. It's the note we tune our hearts to every day and every hour. Or as the Westminster Catechism begins, what is the purpose, the chief end, the primary reason for which we exist? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, beginning even now as we place our faith and trust in him. Joy is one of the strongest evidences of a human truly experiencing God's profound presence in his life by faith. Because wherever God is, wherever he is present, joy abounds. So the announcement that night of Jesus' birth introduced great joy. But just hours before Jesus went to the cross, he unpacked that reality for us in some pretty profound statements. This is just after he has washed the disciples' feet in the upper room. They have the Last Supper together, and Jesus is sharing some final things from his heart that take up John 13, 14, 15, and, in, and 16. And in 15, Jesus says this, these things I have spoken to you, or everything that I have been teaching you these last years to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. My joy may be in you. Profound. And that your joy may be full. In other words, Jesus didn't come to give us a simply, a slightly better joy than what this world offers us or what we can find anywhere else. But he came to give us full-throttled joy in God. One chapter later, really just a few sentences probably later, Jesus went on. You will be sorrowful, knowing that he was about to go to the cross and what would happen with his disciples, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And after giving the illustration of how a woman goes through intense pain in order to give birth, that the joy of that human that's born will overwhelm ultimately that sorrow. And then he said, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, 
and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. What incredible statements Jesus gave us about this incredible joy that he had come to give to us. And he finished that out by telling us in prayer, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Do you hear Jesus' deep desire for us? Us who are caught in the misery of sin, the sadness and sorrow that flows out of that. And he comes in order to offer us great joy in himself. In salvation, God is ultimately sharing with us the joy that the Father, Son, and Spirit share and welcome us to know them, to know that joy, to commune with them, to experience that, to delight in them and their gifts. We might say that God instituted this joy in sort of three phases. 2,000 years ago, what we might call the initiation, joy initiated, joy begun, because Jesus and his life would provide a basis by which salvation could be offered to mankind. And then, when Jesus left the earth, the next phase of that joy came, and I would call it joy increasing. He tells us the Spirit comes to live in us, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who's also known as the Spirit of Christ, comes and dwells in us. And we're told in Galatians 22 that the fruit or the effect, the result of God living in us is love, joy, peace, and some other beautiful fruit. But God puts right up near the front the joy that he longs for us to have and has come with his presence to give us in full. And that joy is increasing. It's increasing in breadth even now, perhaps even here tonight as someone is saved, as each sinner comes to believe in him and is saved by him. And it's spreading within the hearts of believers as we continue to understand more and more what a God of joy we know and live for. And then there's a phase of forever. Joy in full, when it's pure, when it's perfect, when it is never lessening in its intensity. Two scriptures to just begin to depict this. Isaiah 35:10. The ransomed of the Lord, or the saved of the Lord, shall return and come to Zion with singing, Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And then Revelation 21, near in the last pages of the Bible, listen to this joy. Even though the word isn't used, listen to the joy here. Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. God will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Reinke again, this is why we exist. God created us to participate in his joy forever. 
God created us to bask beneath his beams of joy and to magnify him in worship. God created us to stand before him thrilled with joy in praise of Christ forever. Joy was at the center of everything Christ did when he came as Jesus. Joy is at the center of everything now that Christ is doing through his spirit. And joy is at the center of our eternal life as we're fully in the presence of our Savior. Sam Storms notes this. The diabolical strategy of the enemy is to seduce us into believing that the world and the flesh and sinful self-indulgence could do for our weary and broken hearts what God couldn't. This is the battle that we face every day. We awaken to a world at war for the allegiance of our minds and the affections of our souls. The winner will be whoever can persuade us that he will bring the greatest joy and most soul-satisfying joy. That is why we must labor and pray and strive so passionately and sacrificially for joy in Jesus. I'm going to pronounce two benedictions tonight, one of them now, and it's because I want you to hear the similarity of this benediction to what the angel announced that night. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Friends, joy has come. Joy is being offered to you. And as John Piper says, look at Jesus this Christmas. Receive the reconciliation, the salvation that he bought. Don't put it on the shelf unopened. Open it and enjoy the gift and rejoice in him and make him your pleasure and make him your treasure. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord.